Hey everybody, welcome to Brain Over Belly. I am David Brown from Everest Surgical Institute and Idaho BMI. This podcast is all about solving the puzzle of obesity and the other diseases that are overwhelming our society and shortening our lives. It is high time for a new approach and better understanding of what is really going on. What we are witnessing isn't normal. I want to pivot in a new direction. Let's get started now by putting the pieces of the puzzle together. Thank you for joining us. Welcome everybody. This is Brain Over Belly. I'm Dr. Brown. Welcome. Uh, We are recording from the new location at Everest Surgical Institute, which is also where we have the Idaho BMI offices. Excited today, we have Chanel Drucker with us. She is our dietitian at Idaho BMI. Welcome, Chanel. Thank you for having me. I've never been on a podcast before, so this will be fun. Here you go. So first, why don't you introduce yourself? Where are you from and how long you been with us? Yeah, so like Dr. Brown said, my name is Chanel. Um, I've been with Idaho BMI now for about a year and a half. I'm originally from the Bay Area, California, but... I moved to Idaho to attend the University of Idaho, um, graduated with my dietetics degree in 2019, and I've been with Idaho BMI ever since. So very grateful to be here. Okay. Where were you born? Okay. I was born in Darmstadt, Germany. My family's originally from Hungary, um, but we made our way to the States when I was pretty young, and then I've grown up in the U.S. ever since, but most of my family's still back home. So Awesome. I think mm-hmm. it's very cool. It's nice to have people from different backgrounds and experiences. And from my perspective, Chanel's been a great asset at Idaho BMI. Patients love her. She directs or she runs the uh, support groups. Everybody loves her. And our attendance has exploded since she's taken over the support group. So I'm very excited to have her with us today. Um, now, Every few years, there's a new trend in the area, the arena of weight loss and obesity and dieting, and this has been consistent over literally 40 years, and there is a current rage topic that's very common, very popular, and it has to do with medications for weight loss. So, that's our topic for the day for this podcast is weight loss medications. And there's a particular class of medications that people are particularly interested in. And I think it's a worthy topic and something that people are interested in. So we have reviewed some papers, scientific papers, research papers recently at Idaho BMI, correct? Correct, yes. Yeah. And we actually have used some of these medications selectively with some of our patients uh, under very specific circumstances or scenarios. So let's dive into the topic that I think people are most interested in. And this is the the topic of the GLP-1 analogs. So some examples of those analogs are semi-glutide, Ozempic, Manjaro, uh, there's some others. I think those are the most common, commonly known names. So these are medications that are generated at pharmaceutical companies and they're a synthetic form of what is a naturally occurring 
peptide or hormone in the body. Uh, we call that GLP-1, which stands for glucagon-like peptide 1, or GLP-1. And it's a very important peptide. There are literally thousands of peptides in the body that function as messengers. You could call them a hormone. And GLP-1 is primarily synthesized or made in the gastrointestinal tract um, along the small intestines and large intestine or the colon. Uh, it's interesting, after surgery, after bariatric surgery, there are cells in the stomach that undergo what's called metaplasia. They turn into cells that generate this GLP-1, and there are certain centers in the brain where GLP-1 is also synthesized. So, uh, Chanel, you see our patients, pretty much all of our patients at this point. You've been here a year, so we are basically sending all of our bariatric patients to visit with you to talk about nutrition, food. So from your perspective, what are you seeing in, in these patients? Um, I think the most common thing is, well, it's similar to the bariatric surgery, right? So it's not a magic pill, right? You can't prescribe someone something and then expect immediate weight loss results. But specifically with these medications is it's, there's no lifelong change, right? They're on this medication and then they get off of it and boom, they're back to square one. A lot of times I will see patients even coming in for their first visit with me and their primary care doctor maybe put them on it three, four, five, six months ago and they've seen no changes at all. So that's the most common thing I witness. Um, and I think especially in today's pop culture with social media, celebrities, a lot of people think if Kardashians, correct, right? The uh -huh. Kardashians remember like, that they're, they're prescribed this and then they're going to get immediate results like them. I think we just need to kind of address the root issue to all of this. Agreed. So yeah, I think at the outset, an important point is, yeah, this can be an effective medication for weight loss in some people. Some people really don't have any weight loss um, when they're taking these medications. And that's an interesting thing. Um, but you also make another point, important point, and that is that these medications, they work for some people pretty well. But when those medications are stopped, they gain the weight back. And I think that has, a, I mean, there's a plethora of reasons of why that is, but the biggest thing is that there was no lifestyle change, right? They're not addressing that root issue, which at Idaho BMI, we really do. We get down to the nitty gritty of, you know, what's going on, not just in your gut, but your brain. Um, and I always like the way you phrase it. Once people reach past a certain BMI, bariatric surgery is the scientific route, right? It's, it's not the easy way out. It's the scientific way for that lifelong solution it's not temporary right to date uh, there's nothing that compares with bariatric surgery for success long-term success in losing weight and reversing diabetes blood pressure etc uh, you know these medications really initially have been used in diabetics right because uh, it does help lower blood glucose levels and it was almost an incidental thing that uh, we noticed that in addition to helping with controlled blood glucose, people tended to lose weight. Um, 
But yeah, still, uh, it's not as effective as bariatric surgery for either diabetes remission or reversal or weight loss. Correct. Yeah, we that study we um, we're going to talk about. I'll just bring up briefly, but not only did it show that people regained their weight after stopping um, ozempic or semaglutide, but their hemoglobin A1C levels returned back to how it was on day zero. Right. And that was really eye opening, I think, as well. Right. So why don't we maybe dive into the physiology? Okay. Maybe a little more detail on what GLP-1 is, how it works in the body, why it has this effect to the best of our understanding. So again, GLP-1, it's a peptide made in specific cells in the gastrointestinal tract. In other words, in the stomach, small intestine, and in the colon, these cells are called enteroendocrine cells. And these are specialized cells in the very innermost lining of the intestines. And when there's a certain substance inside of the intestine, these enteroendocrine cells sense that. And in response, they can do a number of different things. One of the things they can do is generate or release this GLP-1 from the the side of the cell that is opposite the inside of the intestine. So it's sensing, it's sensing a substance and those substances are glucose mm -hmm. and certain fatty acids. So generally people think of GLP-1 as something that's released in response to glucose in the intestines, but it's, it's also fat, fatty acids. And so these enteroendocrine cells release this GLP-1 and, you know, most of the talk has been regarding the GLP-1 entering the bloodstream and it travels through the blood, crosses the blood-brain barrier and works as a hormone, even a neurotransmitter in the brain to signal to certain centers in the brain the fact that there's glucose and fat in the intestines. Correct. And, and I think that's the biggest um, symptom patients feel when they are on ozempic or semaglutide because of that, right, is is appetite suppression. Is that, is that am I going the right direction yeah. with that? Right. And I think, and, and I think that's where people think that, oh, that's why this is successful, right? Because of that appetite suppression that they might feel. But really, you can get that in a whole other lot of ways. You don't need a pill for that. Yeah. Injection. And Mm -hmm. Yeah, these are uh, almost all of these medications are injections. Mm -hmm. you, you take them once a week, you inject them once a week, and they're slowly released into the bloodstream. Um, but yeah, this is thought to be the primary mechanism that is causing the weight loss. People just don't feel as hungry. They don't have the cravings. And they tend to get full faster when they eat, mm -hmm. which is all great. Um a lot of other ways we can do that, right? Yeah. Get the same yeah. results. Mm -hmm. But also something that's almost never talked about is that GLP-1, when it's released in the intestines, it signals to the brain through the vagus nerve. Okay? And you know we're big on the vagus nerve. Um, and that being the primary mechanism through which bariatric surgery has its impact. Signaling through the vagus nerve to the brain. And it turns out, you know, there are studies uh, looking at rodent models. So rats, mice, uh, they, 
they administer these medications. Uh, they give them the shots. Mm -hmm. And just like humans, they lose weight. Insulin sensitivity improves. But in these rodent models, they find that when they cut the vagus nerve, you lose essentially all of the effect of those injections. So I think that's a really important point that the evidence seems to suggest that these medications are primarily working through the vagus nerve. Which is our key, right? During yeah, bariatric I think surgery. So. Yeah. Um, so the brain is the command center. Uh, really, it's the control center for weight, for appetite, metabolism, cravings, blood glucose, hunger pains, even cholesterol, inflammation, all these things. And you got roughly seven centers in the brain that are sharing information, sharing data, and then producing signals to the body to do certain things. But really, the brain and all those brain networks are basing much of those signals on the input through the vagus nerve. Is that, does that make sense? Yes, that makes sense. So you got two things here happening. Input of information into the brain and output signals going out of the brain to essentially all the tissues in the body, all the organs uh, governing all of these things. And so, um, again, bariatric surgery... We're changing the sensitivity and the signaling through the vagus nerve. Therefore, the output from the brain is, is being changed very dramatically, very quickly. So these medications, um, one of the primary, if not the primary mechanism that they're working through is through the vagus nerve. Um, and I think it's important to, to know that and to recognize that for people. Um, so, you can think of the brain governing weight, appetite, blood glucose, all these things through literally a thousand different mechanisms, a thousand different pathways. GLP-1 is one of those pathways. And to some degree, giving people these shots, uh, it's in, in a small degree mimicking the effects of bariatric surgery uh, because when people have bariatric surgery, whether it's a sleeve or if it's, whether it's a bypass, mm -hmm. we see that GLP-1 levels increase very dramatically, very quickly after surgery. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, it's just interesting that, that in part, these shots are... Mimicking a part that the surgery yes. can already do. Yes. I think it's also interesting, too, there's a lot of natural ways that we can increase GLP-1. I mean, not to the extent of bariatric surgery or, right, or those injections, but there are natural, you know, um, supplements and studies are a little skewed, a little vague, but sure. yerba mate tea is one of them. Berberin has been shown. But mm -hmm. So you eat protein and fat that will bump up GLP-1 in the blood, at least it'll bl right. bump it up pretty quickly. So you're absolutely right. Um, I just think a lot of people out there think, oh, if the only way to do this, right, is to get a prescription to something, but change in diet, right, lifestyle, adding supplements if you choose to, um, and then obviously bariatric surgery, yeah. right? Those are, those are the keys. So one of the key papers that, that was published this year, 2022, 
um, was looking at long-term results in patients who were overweight or obese and who were treated with semi-glutide or Zempic, one of these GLP-1 analogs. And there's a whole series of these publications, and it's called STEP. Step 1, 2, 3, 4, I think the most recent one is 8. So different angles, different things being measured, or different time frames. And one of the important papers that was published this year was looking at, one, you treat someone with these injections for a year, how do they do? How successful are they? And what happens when you take them off of those injections? And what they found is uh, that people on average lose about 15% of their weight. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's interesting that in most of the papers that at least looked at this, it seems to be more effective in females than males. And I don't understand entirely why that is but seems to be more effective in females and more effective in people who have a lower BMI. So, in other words, someone who's got a BMI of 40 or 50 or 60, it it doesn't make sense. Um, Doesn't make sense to make this the primary therapy for weight loss and reversal of diabetes. Makes sense. So... In addition to the roughly 15% weight loss, people did see an improvement in their cardiometabolic risk measures. In other words, blood pressure, blood glucose, um, hemoglobin A1C, which is, it's like a three-month running average of blood glucose. And so, yeah, there's reason to be excited about that. So in this study that we'll post a link to, uh, what they found is that, again, people lose on average about 15% of their weight. When you take them off of the injection and you check in again, they've gained back um, over two-thirds of the weight that they lost. And those risk markers, blood pressure, blood glucose, etc., they, ter- they returned to what they were before, which you alluded to that. Right. So... Back to the trends idea. Yes, I, I think these are effective medications. I do not believe they are a long-term solution um, for people who have a lot of weight to lose. And it's kind of like what you said before. Every couple of years, something like this comes out, right? So, Yeah, but that being said, we've, mm-hmm. we use it here. Like at mm-hmm. Idaho BMI, we, we prescribe these medications but in select individuals. Correct. Um, right. And the primary reason is we really want to focus on those tools that will provide the greatest success. For the patients. Permanently. Yeah. Right. I think that's our obligation. Now, the most common scenario in which I have recommended these medications is someone who, say, had, who had a bypass 15 years ago. And they haven't had follow-up in many, many years and they've gained weight again, and they're somewhat high risk for having a revision operation. Yeah, it makes sense to me to use these medications in those people. And in some of these folks, they can be successful. And and some people, again, as we talked about in the beginning, they just don't respond. And we have people who've never had bariatric surgery who just don't respond to these medications. And so I don't think that's been entirely teased out or teased out at all. Who does it work right. best in? 
um, from a metabolic standpoint. So I think my opinion is that these medications are effective and probably should be recommended in certain individuals. Individuals with lower BMI may not qualify for bariatric surgery, maybe females primarily. So females who don't have as much weight to lose. Uh, and of course, in, in diabetics, I, I think it makes sense. Yeah. If, if bariatric surgery is not on the table, I think these, these medications are a lot better in managing diabetes than a lot of the alternatives like insulin. Correct. It's not a one size fits all essentially. Right. It really, there's a lot of talk about tailoring therapy to individuals. And I think this is a scenario where that very much applies. One of the fears I have had with these medications is if you just back up and look at biology, it's so important, I think, to really do everything we can to understand biology, physiology, how do human being bodies really work. And when we understand that, we back up, one of the principles you see very consistently is the idea of resistance or tolerance. And you look at a diabetic who's been diabetic, say, for 10 years, and they've got pretty severe insulin resistance, among other things, in their body. A good argument could be made that one of their fundamental problems is too much insulin in their body. Their body is not responding to the insulin they're generating effectively or efficiently. And so one of the things we do in the medical community is we give these people more insulin. And we can see some benefits, but what is less commonly recognized is that there's a big downside to doing that. Ultimately, we make the body more resistant to insulin. And in some ways, we're making the fundamental problem worse. And a lot of people have written extensively on this, and the data show that you know, typically when, when the diagnosis of diabetes is made, usually the person has had insulin resistance going on for about 10 years. And once they hit this sort of arbitrary marker where they're diabetic, usually they'll be started on oral medication. And roughly five years later, a lot of them will be started on insulin. Well, if you track all-cause mortality, that's, in other words, Death for any reason. Mm -hmm. Could be cancer, could be heart disease, could be Alzheimer's, whatever. All-cause mortality goes up in a pretty linear fashion. In other words, very clearly, we start people on insulin and all-cause mortality goes up from there. And so while we may look at the blood glucose and say, yes, this is cool, blood glucose has come down because we've given them more insulin, well, I'm not convinced we're doing them any big favors. So you can think of the controls for weight, for glucose, glu uh, insulin sensitivity. The primary governors are in the brain. That's where the master controls are. And it's really a system that is so complicated, so impressive. It's astounding how that system works. But it, you can compare it to like a hundred-piece symphony or orchestra. And us throwing one 
analog or synthetic form of one of those right. messengers. It's sort of like reproduce, trying to reproduce the music of that 100-piece symphony or orchestra with a one-string banjo or one-string anything almost. Doesn't it's just, compare. <laughs> no, we... we um, human beings, no matter how smart we are, we, we do a, a fairly poor job. And sometimes that's the only tool we have. So... I always have had in the back of my mind this fear that when we do this, when we are relying on one chemical or one hormone to fix a very complex system, they're gonna, we're going to be generating problems in other areas. And so that's the suspicion I've always had with these medications is that in giving these medications, we're going to be causing resistance to GLP-1. And that at some point, these things are going to lose their, their efficacy. Yeah. yeah. And so I've been interested in this, and there are actually studies in, again, the rodent literature, mice and rats, that demonstrate this very thing, that they give these shots, the GLP-1 analogs, to mice and rats, and over time, what they are finding is that uh, the effectiveness of the shots is lost. They get to a point where they no longer work. And that gets to a scary place too, because then it's, is your body naturally able to produce that itself later down the road, right? Right. If it becomes numb to it. Right. Or even if it can generate a lot of GLP-1, mm -hmm. is the body gonna, going to respond? As well. Then it exactly. You, you could raise the level of GLP-1 to the sky and you're not going to get the benefit from it. And again, we see that in diabetics with insulin. There are people who have astonishingly high levels of insulin that their own body is generating, yet they're not having the same beneficial effect. The body's not receiving the signals. And then when we add more, it's just, we just see this snowball. And so that's a fear and suspicion that I've had and I think it's worth sort of raising the red flag a little bit that we need to be aware of this. Uh, side effects, worth mentioning. Every medication, everything we do has risks. Everything has side effects, potential side effects. It's true of these GLP-1 analogs. Um, the most common is nausea mm -hmm. and just abdominal discomfort, diarrhea. Um, fairly common and, and part of the thinking is well that's part of the cause or the reason people lose weight and they don't feel very good they feel nauseated they don't feel like eating again right it's it's fairly common but it's not a horrendous um horrendously severe side effect in in most people another con to these medications is cost um it's pretty expensive about costing people 800 to a thousand dollars a month that's not chump change, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's not including all the doctors. And I even see subscriptions now available on Google, right? So if you sign up through this website, it's a $250 subscription, but really that's that's not the cost of the medication. Subscription meaning, yeah, meaning what? I'm seeing that online. You you sign up through these websites um, for, for monthly doctor's visits. They'll kind of prescribe you the medication. Okay, so it is going through a physician. Correct, but it's... Not even your own physician, right? It's someone from the web, obviously a physician in itself, yeah. but yeah, uh, cost, yeah, it's, it's a thing, mm -hmm. it's very expensive. Um, 
and you add that up, you know, if it's a thousand dollars a month in a year, twelve thousand grand, you know, twelve thousand dollars. And I think most people are agreeing, most clinicians, that yeah, the person has to continue this indefinitely to see the effects. And again, that's ignoring the potential resistance factor. Uh, but just assume it's going to be effective forever. A person has to stay on the medication forever. So $12,000 a year. For the rest of your wow, life? That's $120,000 a decade. Um, yeah, it's a problem. And, and insurance companies, um, I, I believe most of them will pay, the ones that will pay for them will pay in the setting of diagnosed diabetes, diabetes. mellitus. Mm -hmm. So, and people who are seeking these medications just for weight loss, it's a little trickier. And the FDA did just come out and provide the, the label, the, the capacity to prescribe these for weight loss in certain scenarios. So it's been opened up a little bit, but that is an issue, cost for sure. A lot of, most people can't afford $12,000 a year. We are not the Kardashians, right? No, no. <laughs> nope. So to summarize, yes, these GLP-1 analogs, semaglutide, um, Manjaro, Ozempic, uh, there's a bunch of them. Yeah, there's a few of them. Um, they are, they're effective for weight loss and in treating diabetes. Um, these injections work best in certain demographics like females who don't have all that much weight to lose. And a person has to continue these injections indefinitely to maintain those results. Um, again, the results are not nearly as uh, impressive as bariatric surgery in weight loss, in improvement in blood glucose, blood pressure, etc. So, but in, for some people, though, who are super high risk for surgery or, or just are not in a place where that's an option, I think, I think it makes sense. Chanel, I think that's it. Thank you for having me. This was yeah. fun. Thanks for joining us. We'll have you on again. Uh, again, thank you, everybody, for joining us. This is Idaho BMI and Brain Over Belly. Oh, 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 oh,